Oh my god, those those freaking Doritos just put me at the end of one end of the table, set me up with a great big shovel, and just shovel it in my big goddamn mouth. I'll be happy. Yum, yum, yum. You're making me hungry. Yum. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you're listening to Synchronon. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, Simon. Hello, I'm Yvonne, Kate Rambo. Kate Rambo, you sound like you're ill in. Did you catch COVID? D, I have a question for you. Is this 1995? Because I'm sick, like Tony Hawk's, bro, dude. <laughs> you, definitely, you, you definitely seem ill. I was wondering, because you had a, uh, a office party, like a holiday thing with at the Cockring Factory, right? Do you think you caught something from a coworker? I have definitely. I've either caught something from a coworker or a civilian out on the streets. All this time, you know, I've worked throughout the entire COVID and I've not, you know, last year the masks were great. I didn't want to catch a cold. This is like my first head cold since like 2018. But did you have to do a COVID test for it? Yeah, I've done it. Um, I actually rang into work sick. That's how bad it was. I'm usually the type of person who just like, fuck it. Just I'll go persevere. to work. It doesn't bother. But I That's just I couldn't. I couldn't even get out of bed, man. The explosive diarrhea was just <laughs> that again. That came back. Did you have? You did have COVID, did you? I thought was that like a while no. ago. No, no, I got pinged, but I've never had COVID. I've also not had explosive diarrhea. Take your mind off the door. <laughs> did you say though that you called in, and then like a manager came around, like and oh, gave shit, you yeah. like a COVID test? I... It's so invasive. It's so weird. Well. So I rang up like the NHS. So over here, we have like an any instead of ringing like 999 to be like, I don't feel very well. You can there's like an NHS care line and you can ring them and you tell them your symptoms and they kind of give you guidelines on what you should do. So at this point, I had a really high fever. I had um, like a really bad headache. What else did I have? I had like another symptom of the COVID that I can't remember now. It was like all the symptoms of the COVID. And they were like, you've got to self-isolate. I didn't have any lateral flows at this point. They were like, you've got COVID symptoms. You have to self-isolate. We're going to send you out a PCR test. Don't leave your house. Don't interact with anyone outside your house until you've done this PCR test. I was like, okay, cool. Rang into work, said I've got no lateral flows, but this is what the NHS is telling me to do. Feeling like fucking shit, could barely get off my sofa. And then somebody came, because I've got like a bunker yard. Somebody in penetrated through my fortress penetrated they came into the my fortress of solitude and the next thing i heard was knocking on my what, glass what time? like what time is this like in the afternoon it was late no it was like at nine at night it's pitch black outside i don't have any lights in my fortress bunker because like i want people to die in the traps i've set was it an nhs person or was it as someone from your work it was someone from my work they're totally um, checking up on you a different manager had come with lateral flows and I went out and I stood cause I've got like, um, it's kind of like a conservatory kitchen add on. I live in a very weird house and 
I stood in the kitchen. I was kind of like half over as well because I had a blanket around me. I looked like absolute shit. And like, let me put this to you. I do not look at people outside of my like life existence ever without eyeliner on. So I didn't have eyeliner on. I had this blanket over me. So I kind of had it over my head, wrapped around my neck and kind of like with my glasses. So he couldn't see my fucking eyes. And I could barely talk because I had a really bad throat. And he was, he had a mask on. And I was, but it's so sketchy. And he was it's just, at me. They're definitely looking up on you, keeping tabs to see if you're, I think to see if you're lying about it. Well, there was that moment where we were looking at each other and I, and I was like, who are you? Who are you? And I was like, you know, when you get really angry, just like instantly full of fire. And I was like, who are you? Get out of here, man. He was like, oh, I'm, I'm just, I've just been sent from work. I've got some a lateral flow test for you. I was like, I'm not letting you in. You can't come in, you fucking... What? You should have just, just, from the the bathroom window upstairs, just chucked some explosive diarrhea at him. Next time. And just... <laughs> like, wow. and I don't like my enemies knowing that I'm ill, and I don't like people at work knowing where I live. And now this guy knows where I live. Like, it's just a... It's a danger yeah, thing to it's, me. Yeah, it's weird that they would do that, though, and not, like... He, well, it's almost like they don't trust you. I think it's a, is it not something I can go to HR and put in a full complaint about? Is it not like a disclaimer? Like they've like just given out my moment. address willy-nilly to yeah, a Yeah, but it's not like you got man. me tooed or something. I, I would say, but I would probably complain to management and be like, dude, you came to my fucking house. Send it, send it in the mail, you I'll just say, I do have a post box. You could have just posted that or you could have chucked it over the wall. I could have chucked it over the fortress bunker and then sent me a text message like most normal people. Do you know what? I am? I am the type of millennial now where if my phone rings, I don't answer it. So I don't was, answer it. Was it worth going to the uh, the holiday party at the uh, with the Cochrane co-workers? No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> what did, you, did you just get up to just going to did it? Was it like an official party or was it just like hanging out and hitting a bunch of bars? It was an unofficial party. We arranged to go bowling and then we all went out to dinner and then we went for a few drinks, but it just, it wasn't worth it. I'll, well, that, I'll tell you, I'll tell him the patrons a story about what happened on the night, but it's not a story I can tell the regular public. <laughs> it's a secret. Mm -hmm. um, we just had our office Christmas party, unsanctioned office Christmas party uh, yesterday, uh, Friday night, because uh, my company you know, put out a, you know, a, an announcement saying that there are no corporate sponsored office, like holiday functions Same. because of COVID. And so our team was like, well, let's just have an unofficial meetup. So we all met up at this uh, bowling alley in a Hollywood, not the one from the Big Lebowski. It was just this, this really hip one that's like kind of uh, right in the middle of Hollywood by uh, the Groman's Chinese Theater. I'd never actually been there. And this was the first time I bowled in like 15 years, maybe, maybe even oh, longer. Man. I love bowling. You know, Kingpin, one of my favorite movies. I have to go, bo I go bowling at least like maybe once or twice. It's not something I do regular with regularity, but, are you good? but I enjoy it. Yeah, I'm a pretty good like bowler. I always like break over a hundred. Can you do the thing where it. you like throw it and you have the leg going in the back, like your leg going up in the back? No, I don't have like, I don't have very good like bowling stance. Like poise. I try and Elvis it where I'll like bowl it and then I'll turn my back and walk away and then all the like, you know, the pins will fall down. Wait, do you do it overhand? Spares. 
or underhand. <laughs> <laughs> like a shot put. No, you know, I hadn't done it in a long time. And the, the main reason I don't like bowling is I don't like the fucking shoes. We don't have to wear shoes here anymore. Well, you'll see. In the U.S., we, we do, and it's fucking minging. It's disgusting. It's a, that's the only that's the only word. It's an English word, minging. It's the only word I can I can use to describe bowling shoes at a bowling alley. And I don't like to put my feet in them. Yeah, you know, I, I just Why don't, don't you like just it. Buy your own pair of bowling shoes. They're really cheap. Because I don't bowl enough to have bowl. I don't bowl enough to have a bowling glove or a bowling ball. I was definitely one of those um, skate punk goth teens that stole bowling shoes from the bowling alley and wore them as regular shoes. They're hideous. With, like, khakis. It's like fucking golfer shoes or golfer pants. No, they're pretty good. They get pretty good grip on them, Mike. They look cool. I don't know. I was so I just kind of showed up, and most of my coworkers are all there, and they're like, "Oh, hey, what's up?" And we're chatting, whatever. I think I was like one of two people drinking. Most people, maybe because they drove there, didn't want to drink. But I was like, fuck it, I'm drinking. And so I was like hanging out and everyone's like, you got to bowl. I'm like, I'm, I'm not bowling. Like, we're down one team member. And I was like, I, you really just don't want me on your team. You don't. Like, and they, but they like kept goading me. So finally I was like, all right, fuck it. And I had to go get these disgusting bowling shoes. They're fucking gross. I just don't even like put my feet in them. And uh, yeah, and I sucked. I think I got like a 72. <laughs> like I told them, <laughs> I told them that I suck. You know, it's, I'm not a good bowler. Maybe if Can I had the bumper the bowls, if it was the bumper bowls, you know, where they put the things in the... In the yeah, in the, the sides up. No, that's for children and people <laughs> with uh, learning disabilities. Anyway, it, it was fun. I mean, it's fun hanging out. It's, it's weird seeing everybody because a lot of people started during the pandemic and never actually met each other. Yeah, I've, seeing them in person. Yeah, this coworker um, who's foreign and uh, she, I mean, she lives here, but she's, I think she's from somewhere in Eastern Europe. Um, but she had never met me. And I think you're not supposed to say this, but it's it's just funny. She's like, wow, you're so short. And I'm just like, wow, David, you are <laughs> very short, man. You you're such a very tiny man. And I was just like, you know, I guess I could say that. I think that's rude. I guess I could be perceived I mean, like, as being rude. And you but... are built like Dolph fucking Lundgren. <laughs> <Yeah. almost>. <laughs> <laughs> and you are a massive woman. <laughs> no, I mean, she was she kind of looked like what I anticipated. I was kind of skinny slender whatever but it just always now, funny it's just like i'm this diminutive figure like well, i'm a little elf man what I, she was saying is uh you look like a sneaky jew who has yeah, shackles I, that's what i think she was saying like a little sneaky goblin jew gonna steal my shackles um speaking of the that holidays is- did uh did your family ever force you to do uh go to church for christmas like have you ever had to do that we have talked about this. I am from a non-religious family. I've never once ever had to do church. Did they even try the or did they just never do it? Like, did your mom go? Nope. Nope. Never. That's, None you're fortunate. Us. You're fortunate. Because I know yeah, like I a fortunate. lot of people, like, they, it's like their, their mother usually forces them to do this. But you know, it's funny. My mom forced me to go to church on uh, Christmas. The, for Hanukkah? No, it, it sucked. So she used to be like the director of this, uh, called like the Volunteer Action Center. And so she would like do a lot of like donation drives and things like that. So around Christmas, we used to have to go to St. John's and she would do this big, massive like toys donate. I don't know. It's not Toys for Tots, but it's kind of like that. Like a toy, people would donate toys. And uh, so we'd have to go to the, the church and it was usually like around Christmas. Um, and then we'd have to like 
organize all the toys and shit and then go to the like poor people's homes and give them the toys. And we'd usually have to drive around with Father Bob, who's a fucking weirdo priest. And, you know, I'm not even saying this to be to sound like elitist or prejudiced or whatever towards Christians. I'm not. But priests are creepy. Oh, yeah. They are just creepy by their very existence. I mean, hence, you know, you get you get all the pedophile priests and that's creepy. I think it's the vow of celibacy is what makes him creepy compared to other clergymen. You know, totally, I, I, I mean, it. I'm sure there's tons of rabbis that are pedos too, but rabbis don't look creepy. They're not walking around in these like black outfits with the white fucking collars that everyone now associates with pedophiles and exorcisms and shit. You know, it's just like rabbis use usually, well, I guess there's like the rabbis that the, the hosses are wearing like the black outfits, but they're usually kind of Oh, like, don't get me started on how but, hot the hosses look. Though. Yeah, but they're kind of rotund with their weird fur hats and they're like big Something beards. sexy about they them. Just, but they just it's... don't look, well, I don't know about sexy, but they don't look as like creepy and pedophilic as a lot of Catholic priests do. There is something imposing and powerful and on the right person, a priest is also very sexy. I would like to give a shout out to Father Carras on the Exodus <laughs> right now, who is wank bank for me. I don't know, like even like imams don't look as creepy as like Catholic priests. There's something about Catholic priests that are just overwhelmingly creepy. And ministers too, because they're always soft-spoken, you know, and They've got ministers have the glasses, like the wackily glasses. That look like serial killers. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's weird. I mean, don't get me wrong. The majority of clergy, law-abiding good people. But there are a few that are downright evil. First one that comes to mind, first one that comes to mind, Jim Jones. I mean, yeah, probably, I mean, the highest kill count of yeah, all definitely. clergymen, probably. I mean, he's like the first, like, I would say probably the first clergyman who's just the serial killer you can think of. But today we're going to discuss um, another particularly vile clergyman uh, by the name of Bishop Gary Heidnick. Bishop Gary. Who, is, you know, a lot of people might be like, you might not recognize the name, but once I start describing him and uh, who he inspired in film, you're going to be like, okay, yeah, this sounds familiar. So Bishop Gary here was the head of uh, the United Church of the Ministers of God, which is a, he incorporated that himself. Like and, Jim uh, Jones. Just made up his own just church. Just made up his own church. That's the other reason why they're kind of creepy. Because Jews, like, when you want to become a rabbi, you want to become an imam, you have to go through, like, like you got to go to a specialty school. It's like a nine-year course. Like, my dad could have been a fucking doctor in the amount of time he was was in fucking school. But anyway, with priests, you know, you could just be like, start my own thing. United Church and the Ministers of Jesus. Church, it's, that's a thing. And then if people follow you, then you got an official thing. You got a church. Just call it an hey, incorporation thing. You don't yeah. have to, yeah, but you don't have to have any experience, any credentials. It's just like I got a church going here. But That's this true. guy was definitely founding some, but I think something more along the lines of a cult. But anyway, he founded the uh, United Church of the Ministers of God in 1971. Just five followers and a $1,500 investment that he put into a Merrill Lynch account that grew to over half a million dollars. Holy shit! Like over you, time, hey. yeah. Bishop Gary was good with money. Let's put that out there. Well, he's definitely intelligent, but the guy drove a Rolls Royce, Cadillac around town, had a bunch of Holy uh, shit. yeah, owned a, owned a couple properties. One in particular became rather infamous. Um, he was also an inspiration for the character of Buffalo Bill from Science of the Lambs, um, because much like the infamous on-screen killer, 
He imprisoned his female victims in a pit in his basement. He used them as sex slaves. He also forced them to torture each other and even forced one of the women to eat another prisoner. So he's definitely not uh, a Father Dowling type. This is Gary sick Bishop. tales for sick people, do you like me? Bishop Gary, I mean. Yeah. No, this yeah, this is a sick tale for a for a sick co host here. Um so let's, let's get back to uh let's move to the beginning of the story. I like uh to. Gary Michael Heidneck, born uh, November in November nineteen forty three in Eastlake, which is a suburb of uh Cleveland, Ohio. Um he also had a brother who was only uh eighteen months his junior, uh named Terry. Uh, and uh, his parents, Michael and Ellen, who are actually kind of well off, um, definitely upper middle class, uh, they divorced about um, soon after the boys were born. And uh, they sent uh, the, the boys went to live with their mother at first and, uh, and her new husband until Gary started school, after which they went to live with the father and his new wife. So at first they were with the mother, um, who wasn't the best mother. And they went to live with the father, who also was, was somewhat abusive. Um, it's always the same, isn't it? This is how he built it as a serial killer. I'd just like to say I 100% bet that uh, Gary is a Scorpio. And judging by the sexual acts that he's about to get up to, 100% Scorpio. Yeah, they don't say the exact day, but he probably is. He's a Scorpio, um, man. As most serial killers tend to do, though, they tend to like have excuses of why they commit these crimes and blame other mm-hmm. people rather than, rather than themselves. So he claimed that his father abused him and even mocked his bedwetting by forcing him to hang his soiled sheets outside the window for his neighbors to see. Well, stop wetting the bed, Gary, then. Just stop it. It's that did, easy, mate. Did Drunk Dad ever do that? I actually have no memories of, like, being a bedwetter. Or, I'm sure, like, like all kids, I must have done it, but it was not an issue for me. Was it an issue for you? It feels like it was. I still sleep with rubber sheets. Is that just for fun, though? Because <laughs> you're an evil Jew. I'm into the feel of the rubber. <laughs> on my finely shorn scrotum. No, you know, I never had an issue with it either. But I do remember, because I mean, I'm older, and I think a lot of kids, this happened like in the 80s. Um, I do remember parents doing that to their kids, hanging the sheets out the window. I remember is a kid down like the, the street. Fa- is that a thing to like embarrass them, or is it a way to get the sheets dry? No, it's a thing to embarrass them, so, so everybody can see that this kid is, uh, is the pissing the bed and there's this stained sheet. So that's a terrible thing to do, but it was kind of common back then. I mean, I often, you know, I'm no parent, but I would say a more effective technique is just rub their nose in it. <laughs> like, <laughs> doesn't that work? It works on, uh, on dogs. Um, <laughs> yes, anyway. Children and dogs are <laughs> very much the same. <laughs> so Gary, the bedwetter Heidnick here, um, we also had uh, troubles in high school. He was um, rather socially stunted, didn't have too many friends. He was also ridiculed heavily because he fell from a tree at a young age. And he had a slightly misshapen head. I don't know if they called him bent head, but he definitely had a he definitely had a misshapen head. Oh my god! You know what? If he was in British school, you'd totally be like, "Oh yeah, he fell from the ugly tree. He hit every branch when he fell from the ugly tree." That fucking Gary. He wets the bed as well. What a bedwetter, Gary. Yeah, no, he would have been teased for sure, mercilessly. Uh, his brother, Terry, actually believes that that accident was the root of his uh, erratic behavior and mental health issues that he suffered from later on. So he was obsessed with the Army. So a lot of serial killers were, you know, when they're growing up, they're just obsessed with the military and, like, the domination and, like, the weaponry. And, the... 
anyway, he... did you say it was the sixties as well? There was way more army stuff on the television. Yeah, in the it was in the sixties. Yeah. That's probably why too. He's influenced by the shows, Hogan's Heroes, and whatnot. Um, but anyway, he joined the army after graduation, but he only served fourteen months, and he got an honorable discharge, and was le- was released on medical grounds and given a hundred percent disability pension. Uh, the official diagnosis was schizoid personality disorder. Oh, shit. I totally thought you were going to say because he pissed the bed. <laughs> no, I think he was over <laughs> the bed pissing. But who knows? I mean, I, I'm not sure. Um, so, yeah. So now he's got di- a disability pension. Uh, he moves back to or he settled in Philadelphia and uh, started to uh, get a career in nursing. Became a licensed practical nurse and uh, received a state certificate. Uh, worked for a short period at the University Hospital, and then at the Veterans Administration Hospital, which was right near Philadelphia uh, proper, but he was fired. Uh, first of all, because of his bad attitude, and also because the standard of his work just steadily declined. So he'd only really been a nurse for maybe six or seven months. And I would say, I bet this man has terrible hygiene. I just know he has bad, bad he smells. I already know Gary smells. And he Probably, he probably he smells, kind of looks like it. He doesn't look like he bathes every day. I don't um, think this one does. Well, his life began to decline at this point, and uh, he was spending a lot of time in and out of mental institutions. And in 1970, his mother Ellen took her own life by swallowing poison, and that just you know exacerbated the entire situation. Um, so, out when he was out out of uh, like he'd done his, he'd done a period in a in a in, in rehabilitation a mental institution. He decided to take a trip tonight in uh, 1971 to California to clear his mind, clear his head, and uh, it was there. <gasps> to the land of the fruit and the nuts. The Gary the is a nut. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was there that he had a revelation, a revelation from God, that he should form his own church. And so he returned to Philadelphia, a new man with a new mission, and he registered the United Church of the Ministers of God and installed himself as head bishop Heidnick, Bishop Heidnick. Uh, at the time, the church only had five members, which included Terry Heidnick, his brother, and Gary's retarded girlfriend. He dated quite a few retarded women, actually. Well, it doesn't seem like Gary is on the up and up himself. I don't think like uh, Gary is at home cracking open books for fun. But you know, I don't think he's a, that bad of a look, like a bad looking guy. Kind of has a James Brolin thing going on. We were having an argument about this. I think it does. He, he, he has crazy eyes, and he does have a weird shaped head. He looks kind of like, you know how he's Sylvester Stallone has, has the funny lip because he got the forceps on his head when he was coming out of Jackie Stallone's vagina. Gary has a vagina-shaped head. You mean like it's like like a, like a triangular hip on the top It looks like it's been misshapen through like a, a vagina. Yes, it looks like it's been through a Oh, his head vagina. was misshapen as he was coming out. No, I mean, I think That's what was... it looks like. You might fancy him and think he's got a bit of a Josh Brolin about him, but I don't. Although I think Josh Not Brolin Josh, could play him. Not Josh. I'm saying him. James from Amityville Horror. Right, I'm sorry, James. The dad. The, you know, the Brolin family. He has a Brolin family look about him, and any one of them could play him in a film. But Gary is not a man. If he came up to me in a bar and was, like, chatting to me, I'd be like, get away from me. You stink like piss. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll post a picture of the site. People, you can be the judge of that. So anyway, Heidnick, Bishop Heidnick here, opened an account under the church's name with Merrill Lynch to hide his taxes. So he wouldn't be taxing well, any smart. of it. Yeah. Uh, the initial deposit was only $1,500, but eventually, you know, it, it uh, um, amassed over, he amassed over $500,000. Um, 
eleven uh, one one million one hundred eighty thousand dollars by two thousand ten. Holy shit. Which is crazy, like, yeah. I'm in the wrong business. I'm going to start a church tomorrow. So by 1986, the United Church of the Ministers of God, so he was already in prison by this point, um, was prosperous and actually doing quite well. Had about, uh, I don't know, almost 100 people, well, I remember. So while he was in prison, people were still joining his still, church? Still going to his church, yeah. What the absolute fuck is going on in the world? <laughs> well, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but, you know, like most uh, cult leaders who start their own church, he had a uh, extensive previous uh, criminal history. Um, so as well as being in and out of mental hospitals, um, he was also well known to police. So in 1976, he was charged with aggravated assault, carrying an unlicensed pistol. Apparently, a fighter shot at a man who rented a house from him. Um, the house was later sold. And uh, when the owners were cleaning it, they found boxes of pornographic magazines, only black women. Ooh, Gary's got yeah. a, a niche. A niche and a black. hole dug in the concrete floor of the basement. Oh, Gary's yeah. got a secretive wank hole. <laughs> His wank hole. <laughs> His wank hole. 18 months later, came attention to the police again when he uh, signed his retarded black girlfriend's sister out of a mental institution on day leave and kept her prisoner in his apartment um, with his girlfriend. The sister, who is also mentally retarded. I probably shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say, like, disabled, mentally disabled. Um, I, don't, I think we've gotten this far, D. I don't think anyone's going to be. <laughs> all right. She was seriously rotundoed out. Um, she she uh, was later recovered from a locked storage room in Heidnick's basement and returned to the home. On a return to the hospital, they found that she was raped, sodomized, and had gonorrhea, vaginally and orally. So he uh, a locked storage container, like um, room. Was that, it was a locked like storage room. Colleen, Colleen, the woman who got put inside a box. It wasn't he's a already... box. It was a room. He was he locked her in a storage room. Right, so he's already got this in his basement, and just and he's now started raping. Well, this probably isn't the first time he's raped someone. Let's uh, put no, it like I think that. he definitely had before. I definitely don't think it was, but this so, is the start of him deciding to imprison people. Well, he was arrested and charged with kidnapping, rape, unlawful restraint, false imprisonment, involuntary deviate sexual intercourse, and uh, interfering with the custody of a committed person. I mean, this this woman was mentally disabled and committed to a hospital. And his yeah. girlfriend, also mentally disabled, he basically manipulated her to check this out and have a, um, a rotundo orgy. Um, <laughs> so the case went to trial in November 1978. He pled not guilty, took the stand on defense, of course, because he's mental. And uh, they found that Heidnick was uh, manipulative and psychosexually immature. They found him guilty, sentenced, sentenced him to three to seven years in jail. Um, a later appeal overturned that sentence, and so he only ended up spending about two years in a mental institution. So Which, it was at that point, then. but it was yeah. at that point that if they didn't put him in the custody of a mental home, he got out in two years, they could have stopped the horrifying acts that were to occur the next decade. But I mean, back then, a mental hospital in like what the 60s, 70s was probably just as bad as being in a jail. Especially I don't think a they state, were helping you back a state then. mental hospital, too. I think all this is teaching Gary is that next time, don't let them get away. Yeah, I guess get better locks on the doors. Yeah. Um, so uh, he was released uh, April 12, 1983, on the condition they remain under supervision of a state-sanctioned mental health program. Um, Heidnick actually had two other children with two different women. 
Um, How is he getting laid all this time? Jesus Christ. Who is shagging this man? Um, you he know looks what? like a Trump. That's what I'm saying. He's got, he's got like uh, some charisma going on there. I think a lot of women in the 70s were into this guy. Um, both women, though, that uh, both baby mamas here complained of his deviant sexual practices and penchant for locking them up. So oh, he was definitely it. into that. Um, so anyway, the, uh, the first victim... Who, uh, who he captured uh, was named Josefina uh, Rivera. Um, he captured her in 1986. Uh, she was a prostitute, and um, he found her on the streets just randomly in Philadelphia and uh, lured, in, lured her, you know, hired her to come back to his home um, for, you know, for uh, money for sex here. Um, you know, it was really weird. There, by her account, she was talking about how when she entered the home, he, he first picked her up, Negotiated price. He drove her back to his house, and when she he she said it was odd that he had this like really like elaborate, intricate kind of lock system on the front door, which she did think was a bit alarming. But like she went maze. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So she okay. went anyway. She goes in there like who cares? And she said that uh, she walked into the kitchen, and the hallway to the kitchen was just decorated by pennies that had been glued to all the walls. So it was like the whole walls were covered in pennies that he glued. Them, you know what? I actually bizarre. have a, I have an old friend who did that to their kitchen floor. They took loads of pennies, glued them to their kitchen floor, and then put a resin coating over it. And I gotta say, they had it was colored underneath as well. I gotta say, it looked swish. Uh, it sounds kind of cool, actually. His know, won't have been done to that standard. Well, no, his was just kind of glued on the wall like a psycho. Um, as she reached I the bet door, he licked them. Well, he took her through the kitchen, went her up to went up to the bedroom, and she reached the door of the bedroom. She was also kind of shocked to find the hallway in front of it had been completely covered in one and five dollar bills. Oh, what's his thing about gluing money to the walls? <laughs> I don't know. It's I don't very know like meth says... head collage behavior, isn't it? It, it sounds very tweaker. Yeah. Um, Hyde Nick immediately just stripped his clothes off, gave her a twenty dollar bill, which is not a very expensive prostitute. Um, jumped into the bed, she did the same, and uh, after they had sex, she started getting dressed, and he stepped behind her and began choking her out with his hands. Um, she begged him to stop, said, you know, offered him to do anything to make him stop, and uh, he pulled her arms behind her and attached a set of handcuffs to her wrists. So it's at oh, that no. point, you know, you're kind of screwed. Um, Who is that over that, um, what's his name? You know, the um, Latino guy. Who is taking kids and holding them hostage, kidnapping them and putting them inside his house of horrors? Ariel. Oh wait, Ariel Castro. Yeah, this has yeah. got kind of that because wasn't he doing that with them and like handcuffing yeah, he, them? Yeah, you know, he kept like this is actually similar, but he, but um, well, well, I'll highlight the differences in a second. I think Ariel Castro <laughs> like trapped them in his home, like had them in like kind of in prison, separate bedrooms. Uh, what Heidnick did. He dragged them down to the basement, and so once he dragged uh, Josephine here down to the basement, he shackled her limbs with chains and uh, sealed the bolts with super glue. So you couldn't even open. You couldn't. Oh, he even loves open glue. He's really got a thing. His real true love is glue. You know, he really isn't a glue. So he applied the glue to the clamps, and then he dried them with a hair dryer. Oh, he's got a hair. You know, if he's a man with a hair dryer, there's something a bit namby pamby about that. Well, especially when this it's is the like, 80s, though. Okay, I'll take that back. It's the 80s. Especially when the hair dryer is like, you know, connected to a generator in this creepy basement. 
Um, he took the other end of the clamp and uh, he fastened around a large pipe that was attached to the ceiling. So she's just like hanging there, basically, just oh, uh, you know, chat manacled to this uh, to this large pipe here in the basement. Um, Gary then beat her with a stick until she stopped screaming for help, and he threw her into a pit, uh, boarded it up, and sealed her in. And the only light that came in through through this pit were cracks between the wood overhead. So this Medieval. is very similar to uh, Buffalo Bill, you know, uh, the well, the fictionalized account in uh, Science of the Lambs. He had that pit in the in the in his basement, but I don't think he covered the top. Did he have a no? It didn't. For it? No, it didn't. Because remember, Precious. Yeah, Precious. Side like... and like is barking, barking down. So yeah, it, this wasn't covered, but covering it is very medieval. It's like a well. Well, you know, you know what's interesting about Heidnick, and I'll get to this. He he was very like accommodating with food. Like he would bring them all these different uh, different entrees. So so after Ooh, you know she had been stuck in the pit for a while, um, he appeared few hours later offered her an egg sandwich and a glass of orange juice oh egg sandwich gary come on <laughs> well she was going to take it but then she thought it might be drugged or poisoned so she refused he then took the food away and he came back with digging implements and uh while she was shackled like she was in in the side of the pit shackled to a pipe he started uh widening and deepening the hole while he was right next to her in the hole with her that's awkward it is, it is it is awkward. Um, so he he uh, was working there, like digging out the hole, and he told her that what he wanted to do was have a large family. And so to that end, he had already fathered four children, separate women, but he lost contact with them. He's the the because uh, he's mental. Cause he's, yeah, yeah, his mental health issues here. And so he told Josephina that the plan was to get ten women, make them all pregnant, pregnant, so he could raise his own family. He wanted to have a perfect race of children. His own race. This is like if Charles Manson was in The Hills Have Eyes. Kind of. I think he just wanted a mentally retarded prostitute version of the Brady Bunch. Oh my God, I would watch that show. <laughs> would that be great? You, just the I mentally would watch retarded that show Brady in a Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> the Heidnick Bunch. I'm behind Gary's vision now. I'd be like, Gary, <laughs> impregnate me this second run. <laughs> I'm sold. Um,. So, yeah, he eventually uh, kidnapped five more women in just three months, all in the same way as Rivera. They're choked, chained up, thrown to the pit, and uh, boarded up inside, only to be pulled out and raped and tortured. Which is odd about this is that the pit seems like rather spacious, doesn't it? Cause in, the cause five in, people. Well, Science of the Lambs, it was usually just one victim that was down there. But there, he was also kidnapping larger girls, remember? Because he, he, like, he, he liked big girls. So... You probably couldn't fit five big girls down in in a hole. You'd have to have a very large hole. So I think, you know, Gary focused on skinny African American prostitutes. So you could probably fit more down there. Well, that's about to say, like, if you're a hooker on the streets of Philadelphia in the early '80s, you're not getting like your free square meals a day, are you, mate? Come on, like, you're lucky if you're even getting like one. And I would say that dare say that a lot of these they're are drug like, users too. They were, yeah, that's what I was about to say. They all probably use crack. Sadly, you know, yeah. At that time, this was the eighties, you know, streets of Philly. Um, one of the victims, Jacqueline Askins, uh, in a documentary later said that everybody had a chain and was separated, like thirty paces apart. So it was big enough where wow. he can get between them and have sex, but yet they could still walk around. So because he would just go down there and just like have sex with his slaves. That's like the whole basement, 30 paces apart. He's like, 
You know who would have liked this? John Wayne Gacy. Well, well, Gacy had the crawl space, but he I know, but definitely didn't Gacy seem as fought ahead. But didn't seem as been, spacious. You know, I think like, uh, Gary like used you know digging implements and made like a like built of a sizable pit. So here's uh, Josefina Rivera, who was interviewed in 1990, uh, discussing the size of the pit. Something happened in the hole. By this time right there, everybody had, like, was in a rank. All of a sudden now, you know, first in charge, second in charge, third in charge. So he was running out of room in the hole to fit everybody. So, um... But, but he was able to fit quite a few in the hole at the time. But, I mean, his goal was to have ten women in the hole. You need a big yeah. hole for that. Bigger house, Gary. Since I was there first, they gave me seniority over everybody else. And he would leave me in the basement and put everybody else in the hole and at least to be in charge of everybody down in the hole or whatever. So she, Josephina, we'll get to this in a second. People say that she was an accomplice, actually, to Heidnick, but we'll talk about it in a minute. But uh, she didn't have to stay in the hole with everyone else. So I think when they get good behavior... They were uh, rewarded with not having to spend spend that much time in the hole. But, like a prison. Yeah, but Rivera was the first one that was captured, and she saw all the other all the other prisoners, um, you know, join her in the pit. She said the uh, the second person that was caught was a woman named uh, uh, Sandra Lindsay, and so this woman she heard it like she was so at the time Josephine was in the pit and she heard the sobbing and crying, and uh, and. Uh, uh, Heidnick brought Sandra down, same, you know, same M.O., uh, handcuffed, and uh, he was like choked her out or whatever, and put her in the pit, and Heidnick introduced her to Josephina and then left them alone. And as uh, Sandy began to speak to Josephina, Sandra, Sandy for short, um, Josephina began to understand why the new arrival just kind of had this like detached look on her face as if she just wasn't processing where she was because she was clearly mentally uh, disabled as well. Right. Um, she, told the, she told Rivera that her name was Sandra Lindsay and she had been a friend of Hyatt for several years since they had met in a local, men- local hospital for the mentally and physically handicapped. And she oh, said no Gary's way. a good friend who always looked after her. And she had just had no emotion in her voice. Like she wasn't screaming. I mean, she was kind of sobbing because I think she was scared. But she wasn't like, you know, screaming like Josephina was when she was there. And she described how often she had sex with Gary and Gary's best friend, Tony. So Tony was another guy who was a, a member of the church who was also uh, mentally disabled. Um, Jesus guy. Yeah, he's African-American. <laughs> Is anyone he here compass mentors? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's kind of easy to... To, to, to put together a cult with, like, you know, the mentally disabled. Well, I would say that most people who go into cults who believe this type of thing are already, you know, they're already on the scale. <laughs> well, like that. that's the thing, especially because, uh, you know, completely be, you know, follow this person without questioning it. Uh, so Tony Brown actually helped Heidnick torture the women, and uh, he thought of himself as Gary's best friend. So. Oh, no. Yeah, so uh, Sandra Lindsay actually uh, ended up falling pregnant, presumably to Heidnick, but she uh, had an abortion as she was afraid of uh, being a mother. Uh, when Heidnick learned what she had done, um, this was before he imprisoned her, obviously. Before the gravel pit. Yeah, yeah. He, flew her into a, he flew into a rage, told her that she was evil, and offered her $1,000 to have his baby, but uh, she refused. And so it was because of that that he ended up taking her prisoner and bringing her to the home. Well, what a wanker, because... Abortions all the way. Abortions for everyone. 
night and day. That's my slogan. Well, I don't know. I, I'm thinking the people who are uh, copulating in the mental home probably shouldn't have kids. <laughs> yeah, um, well, she didn't want to, so good for her. Yeah, her exactly. So when he would bring in new prisoners, he would pull everyone out of the pit and make introductions, round introductions. You know, these are all the sex slaves. Oh, do you think there was drinks and nibbles? Maybe well, a there were. Buffet? He would make sandwiches for them, but he would tell them that they could not eat until he had indoctrinated the newest victim by forcing her to fillet him before chaining her up with all the others. Then he would bring food. And the amount, of, the amount and type of food that he provided changed according to his mood for the day. Oh, so, no. so some days he would give the girls only bread and water. That was it. The following day it would be stale hot dogs or a peanut butter sandwich. He how, do finally, you, how do you make a stale hot dog day? How does a hot dog just, ever I think go he just stale. left the, dogs, the, the hot dogs out. Probably what, just he just like, opened the can like three days ago and let them dry out a well, little no, they're in a package. He probably just left and probably didn't refrigerate them. What a wanker. Um, but he finally solved his uh, food problem by giving the girls canned dog food. And beating oh, yeah. them until they ate it. I mean, if you think about it, that's probably the cheapest way to go. Um, probably is. Here's Josefina commenting about the food that she ate while in uh, captivity. We didn't take any bears. We didn't comb her hair. Right? We spent most of the time in the hole. He would um, bring us hot chocolate in the morning for breakfast. And then when we went down, like at night, he would bring down maybe two or three hot dogs or something like that. So he'd bring you know, hot chocolate and hot dogs. You hot know. chocolate in the morning. That's how the French start the day. It's interesting Lovely. about the, uh, that, like, the personal hygiene issue. So Gary didn't seem to really care that these women <laughs> never bathed. I mean, he did put a portable toilet in the pit. Can I say that Gary does not look like a bather in any way whatsoever? I don't think Gary gave a shit that these women smell. Well, he gave them baby wipes to wash their bodies. Oh, a horse bath. Yeah. Because that's probably how he's dealing with it. But he was still forcing them to have sex with each other while he watched. And he would have sex with them. And they obviously must have smelled terrible. The smell of that basement is just stale hot dogs from everyone and everything. Ugh. Dried semen. Um, sometime later, he did allow the girls who he, who received awards, I guess, trust awards, uh, to take a bath. But then afterwards, you'd have, they'd have to have sex with him. Um, so he ended up capturing another woman um, shortly after uh, Sandra named Deborah Dudley, who was rather defiant. She was only 23, so she was younger than the other prostitutes. Uh, but she wasn't going to allow Heidnick to control her without a fight. So from the time he chained her with the others, she questioned his authority at every opportunity, tried to escape, and every time she did that, earned her like a savage, like brutal beating. And so that created tension amongst the others because anytime uh, Dudley would disobey and get a beating, he would beat everyone as, as everyone else. So oh, well, they're going to turn prison style on her, aren't they? Well, that's the thing. I think it's just a method of uh, manipulation, you know, because beatings became a regular event. And he would often appoint one of the girls to be in charge while he was out. And when he returned, he expected that the person to tell him if, if anyone else had misbehaved or tried to escape. And if they had, if they did, he would order the girl in charge to beat the others. Yeah, so if there are no infractions or if the beatings weren't severe enough, he would just beat everyone. So it, it turned out during this time. So he had, what, like four, four women at this point. Um, he noticed that Rivera... Josefina Rivera, the first victim, 
kind of started started to win his confidence. I think she was amenable, you know, to beating the other victims, to snitching on the others. And so she ha- she was giving this level of loyalty and obedience that the other ones didn't really display. And so Did at that time... she have a touch of the Stockholms, Dee? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think she was yeah. definitely developing uh, Stockholm Syndrome. Whether she was developing Stockholm Syndrome because she cared about Heidneck as a provider or whether she was doing it out of self-preservation. That's the question. I think question. at this point, like how long has she been in this hole and watching all this whole scenario? I think you're only, kind of self Only a couple months, maybe or three only months. Only a couple of months, yeah. I think by this point, you're working shit out so that you can survive. Well, that's I what I care. think. Well, that's definitely what I think What I think happened here. And so if you listen to this uh, interview here with Josephine, she's talking about... Um, how Gary grew to trust her and promoted her to be the boss of the other women. Anytime that you're cut off from the world outside and, and whoever's holding you captive, the same person after a period of time, you're going to grow to like him regardless because he's your only contact to, to things that are outside or he, and he's your only, he's your only source of survival. And over a period of time, psychologically, you notice. You know, you know that this is the person that's got to bring you bread and water and, and things like that. So it just became this. He just created his own little world in his basement. And everybody just kind of pretty much dealt with it, I guess. So you can see where she's trying to rationalize her, her behavior. But I think what it is, is she had a stronger self-preservation instinct than the other victims. Because some of the other victims that came in there kind of gave up. Can I say, she probably had a few more brain cells to rub together as well. Well, I think she had the street smarts. Because, I mean, she had been a prostitute for a while at this point. Yeah, and, like, I do think in a survival situation like that, you can never judge. You can, like, say, oh, moralistically, but that's from the outside looking in. None of us knows how we would ever actually act in a situation like that. And she just, to to me, she's just gone, yeah, into complete street survival. He's the guy who can free me. So, of course, you're going to do everything to ensure your survival. Well, and not to mention, I mean, if uh, she did what he said, he'd bring her hot chocolate, hot dogs and the actually fresh hot dogs let her sleep outside the hole so she was getting rewarded Rewards. for her obedience but if she disobeyed him she would lose all of her privilege so it's kind of a classic form of manipulation you know one of the first skills that most successful clergymen develop if you think about it most um, religions but disobeying him was dangerous when one of the women displeased him he would put them on punishment that's what he called it on punishments like time out here uh, they would be starved, beaten, and tortured. And sometimes he'd wrap duct tape around their mouths and slowly jam a screwdriver into their ears. Here's Gary himself being interviewed, talking about uh, torturing his captives. Oh, my God. Nothing was working. I was trying to find something that worked that would make them shut up to stop. So oh, yeah. Yeah. I could stop some kind of infliction of pain on these women. I was trying to find something that would make them behave. But it was painful to them. I hope so. You know, that's what I was trying to achieve, you know, to make them behave. So there you go. I mean, he was trying to force them to behave. Yeah, um, it didn't care if it caused them pain. On occasion, they tried calling for help, which resulted in savage beatings, um, which in turn caused them to cry even louder. So any deviation from his rules 
were punished by a fur- like further beatings and a period of incarceration in the dreaded hole. So sometimes he would let them like he would chain them to pipes in the basement, and when you're when they're in trouble, when they're on punishment, then they were in the hole. Another form of punishment he had was to uh, attach the girls on like overhead, like to a beam. Like so, he would use their handcuffs there because they were already manacled, and he would like handcuff them to like an overhead beam and just leave them suspended, just hanging there by their arm for like hours. That's a Nazi trick. I forget what the Nazis call it, but they had a special pole. That it's an Auschwitz where they would hang you by your shoulder until basically your shoulder dislocated. It's all very like Nazi Germany basement for Gary. Well, see, so you know what's interesting? Uh, during this period, the girls there were like about at least four at the time. Um, one of them, Jacqueline Askins, would later testify that uh, they devised a plan to attack Heidnik and escape. I mean, if you think about it, there's like four women. You think you could overpower this one guy? Yeah, you'd, you'd think. And he's not even that intimidating of a guy. I mean, he's obviously a man, so he's you know probably physically stronger. But four, four women? I guess what? Yeah, especially four angry and annoyed women. No, no man of any size can hold back four angry and annoyed women. Well, the the uh, attack never actually occurred because Rivera <gasps> told Heidnik what they were planning. Oh my God, she's a real. I don't. Uh, no, that's what I'm saying. She's, <laughs> no. Yeah, she's, she's complicit here. Uh, so, convinced that the girls were constantly plotting against him, he devised his own plan to prevent them from leaving. So, after cuffing each girl hand and foot, he hung them from a beam and gagged them. Then he took several different sizes of screwdrivers and gouged inside their ears to deafen them because he believed that if they could not hear, they'd be unable to hear him coming. The only one he didn't do this to, Josefina Rivera. Oh, my God. So he began to treat her as more of a partner, like an accomplice rather than a captive. I mean, she wasn't allowed to leave, but she was definitely... You know, she definitely was, uh, she didn't have to stay in the hole. She, she was wasn't tortured. of the basement. She got preferential treatment. Um, and so uh, on March 18th, when Heidnik decided to punish the others, he asked Rivera to actually help him. And so what, what he would do occasionally is uh, he would do his own form of like shock treatment. I mean, this guy, like, you know, kind of like Bob Bordella, would make his own torture devices. I was thinking devices. Bob is very Bob Bordella in his basement. Like, yeah, with all his, like, you know, his, his ingenious torture devices that he, that he created himself. But these, these didn't seem, like, Bordella had, like, a whole manner of different implements. He, his seemed kind of basic. But what he would do, so he would, he would tend to take these, like, two wires and he would touch the girls with the wire so that they would squirm. But then one thing that he would typically do is he would order Rivera to fill the pit with water. Then he would put the other women, he would put the other three women, especially if they're on punishment into the water and they would weight the top. Like he'd put the cover down and weight the top with bags of dirt. And as they sat shivering in cold and fear, cause they were, you know, practically naked. I think they were just wearing like lingerie. Um, he would put a bare wire through one of the holes in the cover and just briefly touch the chain, sending a jolt of electricity to all three women. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is something that Bob Bordello... I know Bob Bordello was doing, um, like, experimenting with electricity, but he never involved water. It's just a powerful conductor. That's why, you know, when you're on the um, the execution, when you're on Old Sparky, they wear the sponges because it conducts yeah, electricity, electricity way more. 
So this wow. one particular occasion, the three girls, um, Askins, uh, Dudley, and uh, Thomas here, were all being punished. Rivera filled the, filled the hole with water. Uh, the wire was then pushed into the hole, made direct contact with Deborah Dudley's chain. They absorbed most of the voltage, and Dudley screamed and shuddered before collapsing face down the water. She was electrocuted to death. So the other two girls were shackled to her. (laughs) The other two girls were shackled to her, and they started screaming, and then Heidnick removed the cover, dragged Dudley out, and uh, he he looked at her and 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 determined, okay, she's dead. And they just went and made sandwiches for the girls. Came back downstairs and was like, aren't you glad it wasn't you? Well, it smells like hot dogs in here, so I thought <laughs> I'd bring you some hot dogs. Do you ever think Gary put his dick in a hot dog bun and said, here's your dinner? <laughs> probably. Well, I don't know. I feel that's a Gary kind bitten. of joke that he would do. Well, you know what's interesting? So after he did this, uh, he then went and um, let them eat their sandwiches next to the, their, the dead girl they were shackled to. And then he came back with a pen and paper, and he handed it to Josephina, and he ordered her to write the, the time and date at the top of the page, and then he write a statement detailing how she assisted him in electrocuting Deborah Dudley. He then ordered her to sign it, and then he held up the letter and said, if you ever go to the cops, this is my evidence against you. Jesus, Gary, he's, a, he's an evil mastermind. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, so this guy, you know, got out of, like, actual incarceration in prison because he was saying he had mental health issues. But he's definitely a scheming individual. Well, I think you're going to learn some tricks in prison about how to manipulate and be a scheming individual. If you go to prison, it kind of teaches you how to do that. Well, at this point now, uh, Josephina was Hynek's constant companion. So she was was definitely like the hall monitor. Um, The other girls couldn't trust her, but he would even take her outside of the house on outings like restaurants and shopping. Oh, do you think he took her to like the Red Lobster for dates? She was like the house mom. She was like the she was his main girl. Um, I reckon they had hot dates where they would spend their night gluing money to the walls. <laughs> to the room. walls, yeah. That's that's probably one of his uh, leisure time activities. Uh, Heidegg told Rivera that if he was ever caught, they were they were at dinner at the Olive Garden, and he said if I was ever caught, he would act as though he was insane because he knew how to manipulate the testing procedures, so he'd never actually have to do real time. Because you claim insanity. Good for you, Gary. Good for you. So, by far, the most grisly death in that basement wasn't uh, Dudley, who was electrocuted. It was the death of Sandra Lindsay, the second captive, the mentally disabled woman that he caught uh, shortly after Rivera. So, Heidnick found a reason to punish Lindsay when he caught her trying to move the plywood cover to the pit. And this time, the punishment was, was very severe. Uh, he forced her to hang from a roof beam by a single handcuff attached to her wrist for several days. Oh. So during this time, her condition deteriorated and she wasn't eating. Now, he thought at this point, because remember initially she had the abortion? Yes. So he was under the assumption, and actually Josephina was the one who told him this, that Josephina said she was pregnant. I think she was doing this so that he wouldn't kill her. And he also said that Sandra was pregnant. Didn't say this about the other girls. So this whole time, even while he was torturing uh, Sandra Lindsay, he thought that she was pregnant. So This is appropriate punishment for a pregnant person. Well, she wasn't eating at this point, so he believed she was pregnant, so he was forcing her, like force-feeding her pieces of bread. Now, towards the end of the week, after like several days of hanging there, she started vomiting, 
and was running a fever. He continued to force feed her, often jamming food into her mouth and holding her mouth shut until she swallowed. But she lost consciousness. And when he couldn't rouse her, he became angry, unlocked the handcuffs, dropped her to the ground. And uh, he told the others who were, were watching in horror that she was faking. And he kicked her into the pit and left her there while he went and got ice cream for everyone else. It was ice cream day. Ice cream's on Tuesday. Um, wow. So uh, he told the girls that she probably choked on the food, um, but it was apparent that she was, she was dead. So uh, he ended up carrying her body from the pit upstairs. And it, like maybe an hour or so later, they heard the whine of a power saw. <laughs> okay. God, this get worse. Yes, it well, can. Well, it does get worse because uh, maybe shortly after they heard the power saw whirring about upstairs, um, one of Heidnick's dogs walked out of the basement carrying a long, meaty bone. Was this dog called Precious? <laughs> Was it a little, a little fluffy, little, nice little doggy called Precious with a big bone in its fucking Carrying mouth. a forearm. And he proceeded to devour it in front of the terrified captives. Oh. <laughs> So I'm saying this guy is terrible. He's a terrible man. Um, One of Philadelphia's finest. Well, he uh, dismembered Lindsay, chopped her into pieces, cooked her ribs in the oven, boiled her head on the stove, and he put her arms and legs in the freezer for later. Um, the next few days, the girls began to notice a sickening stench that filled the entire house. It was so bad that the neighbors actually complained to the police about the smell. Coming oh, from did this the cops house. come around? Do yeah, a young check. patrolman came to the house to make inquiries about what's going on. But Heidnick assured him that he, you know, overcooked the roast, and that's what was causing the smell, and apologized, and so the cop left. Wow, that cop has clearly got um, uh, nasal capacities like you. He's like, well, I don't smell anything here. <laughs> yeah, this smells so fine like to roast. me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, bye. carry on, sir. Um, <laughs> he ended up grounding Sandra's flesh up, mixing it with dog food. And soon he brought it down to the other woman who are on punishment still. Uh, so here's Josephina Rivera talking about the dog food. They were watching an Apple dog food commercial or some kind of food dog food commercial. And they were like saying, damn, that dog food looks good. It looks good enough to eat. So Donnie says, Gary, Deborah says that she would eat dog food and stuff if you would give it to her, but that's not what she said. So Gary goes upstairs, and he gets the dog food, and he brings it downstairs, and he makes these three eat them, the ones that was on punishment. So he actually fed, he fed. He was taking Sandra's body and grinding Sandra. it in a food processor and mixing it with this dog food that they was, he was feeding these, these three other girls. Hamburger helper. He used to fill. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, these girls... Um, we're basically eating Lindsay's body parts mixed in dog food. And when, you know, they didn't really have much of a choice at that time. Because this is all they... Well, you're going to do anything to survive, aren't you? They either had to eat her or die. But, I mean, it plagued them for the rest of, the li rest of their lives. You know, there's a documentary about this called, um, I think it's like Monster Clergyman or something. Something um, tells me that's... Monster Preacher. But, yeah, Jacqueline Askins, one of the uh, captives, said if it wasn't... For me eating her, or eating the dog food, I wouldn't be here today. I actually what think this you? might have inspired our uh, forty-five minute debate on the ethics of cannibalism and necrophilia that we had on Second Show this week. 
This is um, why I'm see, I'm being so liberal with these women and saying you got to do what you got to do to survive. Like, no, I'm not judging them. Like, that well, my, poor woman, I bet she didn't taste good. My question is, though, do you think these captives, these, you know, these prisoners who had to eat human flesh, do you think they still have a taste for it? I think once you've tasted the forbidden flesh, it's like the twilight zone. It's always in the back of your mind. You know, like how sometimes you get drunk or you'll get high and you'll crave something and you'll be like, oh, man, I can't have that because I ate that in Germany five no, like years Bell. ago. It'll be like that. It'll, to- it'll You'll get a taste in your mouth. And you'll be like, what is that taste? Oh, I'm really craving that. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. It was Sandra. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> I really miss the taste of mentally retarded prostitute. I wonder if I, I can get that. I wish I could just that. have another yeah. bite. Like, can I get another bite? I wish Gary was around still. <laughs> that Gary. Well, here's Rivera talking about um, the whole experience and how she worried that she might be next. He got Sandra's head cooking in a pot upstairs, right? And he got her ribs and stuff and a little roasting pan in the oven, you know, and her arms and stuff is in the freezer. And he says that if I don't cut out my bullshit, that I, this is going to be me. Now, that is an effective warning technique. And if you think Lots about of people it. people like to boil the heads, don't they? I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer, Dennis Nielsen. Who's the Australian? The Australian, you know, the mad butcher woman who put her husband's head. But what I'm saying, if you were. They love doing it. But if you were a uh, non compliant prisoner and he brought you upstairs and you saw. You know, your your fellow prisoner's head in a pot. You saw an open rib cage. You saw some arms in the fridge. And he was like, that's going to be you. I'd be you like, sir, comply. yes, sir. Anything <laughs> you want, Gary, sir. I will go upstairs and clean your toilet, Gary. Well, I, I think this led to Josefina's resolve to, you know. Get the be, fuck out be, of there. But not be his accomplice, but, you know, curry his favor so she could make her own escape. And so that's ultimately what happened. Whether she was an accomplice or not, she did save the remaining uh, prisoners. Uh, so Heidnick was using her at this point as bait to catch more women. You know, he was, his goal was to get 10. He wanted a harem um, and then make his own Heidnick race. Uh, he would then take Josefina out in the outside world. They'd go to dinner. They'd go shopping. And she would help him pick up other women that he would lure back to the home always keeping her close by his side. So that, I've read accounts where they would go out, he would meet girls, she would introduce him to other prostitutes that she knew, and he would, she would listen to him having sex with the girl and would wait until he, ch- he choked her out and dragged her downstairs. And she knew this was happening. She of facilitated. Um, but she used this goodwill that she'd earned with him, these, these brownie points, to get temporary trips out of the basement. So finally, her big opportunity came March 24th, 1987, after begging him that she wanted to see her family because at this point it had been a few months. Um, she convinced Heidnick that if he let her go to see her family, she would bring him back a new wife for the collection. Heidnick, very anxious to expand the family, his family, uh, agreed on the condition that after visiting her family, she would pick up the woman and meet him at a, at a gas station near her house at midnight. So later that evening, he dropped her off near her house. And he, he drove off. So Rivera sprinted towards the apartment that she shared with her boyfriend, who was a man named Vincent Nelson, who surprisingly didn't even call the cops on her missing 
Yeah, some, I was thinking in my mind, I was like, if my boyfriend, if I get there and that place does not is not like wall-to-wall pictures of like missing posters of me and he hasn't been canvassing that neighborhood looking for me, he is going straight to fucking Dumpsville after what I've just been through. <laughs> well, it sounds like this guy's just like, oh, hey, you're back. Where you been? Hey, baby, where you been? Like, well, I've been in a pit, motherfucker. I've been in a gravel pit. Well, when he answered the door... To? Um, she uh, explained how she had been taken prisoner, sexually abused, tortured, and he thought she had lost her mind. He thought she was Jesus. insane. And so he tried to quiet her down, and she was describing the dog food, the body parts, you know, the pit. And so Nelson was like, all right, I'll go to Heidnick's house with you, and let's confront him. And she was like, no, we're not going back there. This guy we- is also doesn't have many brain cells to rub together. He's like, oh, yeah, let's just drive to the house together. I'd be like, I just told you he's I'm... boiling heads on his stove and you want to go to his fucking house. I'm wondering Dump if he's still. I'm wondering if if this guy's her pimp, actually, because if you think about it, the pimp, you know, process, I mean, I'm sure he's upset. And if he probably looked around and couldn't find her, he's just like, oh, she probably skipped down. Who cares? Maybe she's dead. Oh, let's go get another one. Because I think maybe that's that's the reason why he didn't trust the police so much. Because even after this, maybe. She still, he still didn't want to call the police. But he reluctantly agreed. And uh, they made a call from a payphone, like a few blocks away. Um, sure enough, two police officers, John Cannon and David Savage, pulled up um, uh, alongside the payphone. And Rivera told her story. They also found it very hard to believe. I mean, Can I just say that they are amazing cop names? <laughs> if you're going to write like um, a PI Cannon novel, they Savage. are cop names. Well, you know, I mean, you look at Rivera. She's at this point probably smells terrible. Uh, she's obviously like a prostitute. I mean, you look even in this interview, she looks like a prostitute. But she lifted up the bottoms of her jeans and she showed them the scars on her ankles from where the chains had been from and the, the shackles. Yeah. So they were like. All right, that makes sense. So they went to the gas station where she told them that Heidnick was waiting in his Cadillac. Because that's what I told you. She got, drove around town in a Cadillac and a Rolls Royce. And they took out their weapons, approached the car. Heidnick raised his hands and was like, oh, are you here for the child support payments? And they were like, no, we're here for a more serious matter, just a slightly more serious matter. And he was placed under arrest. And that's pretty much after four months of horrifying acts. Um, his rate of terror is finally at an end. So what ended up happening the next day, 5 a.m., I mean, at this point, they're just like, we got to go to his house. A squad of police ended up uh, at, at his home at 3520 North Marshall Street in Philadelphia. They couldn't get they couldn't get in through the door because of the intricate locks. So they had to smash the door down. Yeah, um, that's cool. But broke out the ramming tool. And so one of the first officers that went through was David Savage, um, who was the guy that arrested him. And Josephina told him, you have to go to the basement. That's where it is. So he and his partner, uh, Officer uh, surname McCloskey, they went down to the basement. And when they got down there, they saw two black women chained and asleep on a mattress in the middle of the room. Um, they were just covered, just, they're almost naked, and they're wearing like a, you know, just covering themselves with a thin, dirty blanket. And they started screaming. When they saw him, because they, who knows what they thought at this point. They'd been in prison there for four months, abused, tortured. And so he was like, no, we're police officers. We're here to release you. Um, he noticed that the women were chained to a pipe in the ceiling and had nothing. They weren't wearing anything but a, a thin blouse and some socks. And the women identified themselves as Jacqueline Askins and Lisa Thomas. Uh, when the officers asked, are, are, is there anyone else in the house? They pointed to the plywood cover 
that had plastic bags with dirt on top of it. And so they pushed aside the bags and board, and they opened it up, and they saw the nude figure of Agnes Adams, the no, uh, third I, I, victim, squatting the at the bottom of the pit. The, the That's what? Where oh, the Gary rancor. Kept his <laughs> <laughs> um, they ended up removing the girl's chains, uh, took her to an ambulance, and uh, they went back and started searching the rest of the house. And they just found, you know, the horrors of Gary's home. They found, you know, limbs in the in the freezer. They found uh, the skull of uh, of Sandra Lindsay. Um, you know, they, you know, they obviously been just these implements of torture. And so, obviously, Gary was uh, was was uh, um, imprisoned. <laughs> he went to trial, and he he was trying to use his patented insanity defense and his lawyers are actually trying to go with the insanity route uh, but he was ultimately convicted July 1988 and sentenced to death uh, for the murder of Deborah Dudley guilty in the first degree murder of Sandra Lindsay guilty in the first degree and just a list of charges a litany of charges went on um, Heidnick eventually was convicted on 18 charges two counts of first degree murder five counts of rape six counts of kidnapping four counts of aggravated assault and one count of uh, involuntary deviant sexual intercourse. Uh, the jury the next day sentenced him to death for the murders of uh, Dudley and Lindsay. Um, Heidnick showed no sign of emotion in the entire trial. He did well, try to kill himself, Well, judging by that though. interview, either. When he yeah, was... judging by that interview, I don't think he had any remorse. He did try to kill himself, though, in prison. Oh, boo-hoo, fa- Gary, did he? Oh, boo-hoo. It was amazing. In 1997, his family tried to get him off a of death row. Which is well, because I think he they kind said of he was insane. Guys. Yeah. Like, um, July 6, 1999, Heidnick received a lethal injection and became the last person to be ex- executed in Pennsylvania. Yeah, when I was researching for um, the Michelle Lyons episode, I, I was reading, I read about him being the last one in Philadelphia. He was the last, yeah, the last execution in uh, Philadelphia. Now, what's, what's interesting about this is Heidnick's cult, no one really knows what happened to them. But was but after his arrest, so let's see, he was arrested, uh, when was that, 1987? Um, after his arrest, uh, they kept coming to the church. So he had a Gary, house that he back. used as a church. He'll be back, guys. Yeah, I mean, there was news, blaring stories about Heidnick's house of horrors and the women that he abused, but they still kept showing up for Sunday services. I don't know who was leading the services. I mean, I looked into it, and there's an article from 1987 that said the members of the church um, continue to hold services even though their self-appointed, the self-appointed bishop is in prison. What's happened yeah. to his money from his church, you know? Well, it's interesting. Charles Peruto Jr. is one of the attorneys, uh, the prosecutors, was, attempt- was trying to convince a judge to unfreeze Heidnick's estimated $550,000 of assets. So he had he filed, you know, under he where he opened up that account based under the church's name. So he he avoided it was a tax shelter, and he had all this money, um, but it was frozen because it was in his name. Not even the not even the parishioners couldn't even have access to it. So this uh, lawyer was trying to, to 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 unfreeze the accounts to actually give it to the victims because Askins, Adams, and Thomas, the surviving victims, other than Rivera, had hearing impairment from the screwdriver incident yeah and so to mention the mental torture that they they you know when people like talk about ptsd those women have pts fucking d well those three along with rivera um have civil proceedings are still going on to access the funds in the account oh shit yeah they they still have never gotten it though which it's amazing 
well, it's amazing. But so this this uh, attorney at the or this attorney at the time was like, yeah, as he was you know taking the case, parishioners were calling him asking if they're still having services before it was eventually shut down. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> I just got to go to church today. I really love our leader, Gary. Well, the you know, much boiler. like much like his Heidnik's best friend Tony Brown who was severely you know, mentally disabled, he was another victim of Heidnik's manipulation. And his lawyer um, said that the man fit the pattern of the victims, poor, retarded, and black. And Heidnik's neighbors said the cult fit this description as well. Like he held these church services on Sunday. Most of the attendees were mentally retarded. But isn't the same for Jim Jones as well? But no, Jim I don't Jones. think Jim Jones, I don't think they were all mentally disabled. But they were certainly um, POCs. I mean, he had a church of rotundos. He does have a church of rotundos. I would kind of like to have seen this church and to have seen the Brady Bunch. What happened to uh, Josephine Rivera? Well, you know, I I don't really say. I mean, she was interviewed in 1990. We were playing clips from that. So she didn't face any jail time. I think the jury just took a a kind of... I think it's a Stockholm Syndrome thing and just trying to do what you can to survive. But I mean... Sounded like she was an accomplice. Do you know what's interesting? So after Heidnik um, was still in prison, uh, his legacy in pop culture, if you think about it, was secured when the character of Buffalo Bill, um, yeah. Silence of the Lambs, was based on him. But you know what's interesting? Is Bill actually the composite character? I was looking into this. So Thomas Harris went to a lecture, and uh, they were talking about Gary Heidnik, who was recently arrested, um, uh, Bundy, Ed Gein. Ed Gein. And if you think about it, I would say... In my opinion, Buffalo Bill is a composite character, about 50% Heidnik, maybe 30% Ed Gein, because Ed Gein was also trying to make clothing out of women's skin. Oh, yeah, he loved, that was his thing. He wanted you know? to wear a woman. Yeah, he was like, so. And he liked larger ladies, too. And that's, yeah, and that's what Buffalo Bill was doing. Heidnik had the pit, and, you know, which Buffalo Bill was doing, and 20% Bundy, because Bundy use these kind of like Bundy Bundy was on his toes when it came to coming up with excuses and the way to capture women. And, and that's what a uh, Heidnik would do. Like when he would go meet with girls, he would go meet them and then take them out to dinner and be like, Hey, you want to come back to my house, to play video games. Like he, he there are ways that he would, or he'd be like, Oh, can you look in my trunk? I forgot something. And then he'd grab them from there. The old like he, classic. Had, he had can techniques. Can you help me get this mattress in my van? <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, so I would say 50% Heidnik, 30% Ed Gein, 20% Bundy makes one Buffalo Bill. I would say that's about right. That's how you do it. So there you go. A very sick tale from my sick co-host. I am very sick. I'm sorry to everyone who's had to hear me cough all the way throughout. But there is a great documentary that came out on him uh, recently. It's, It's called Monster Preacher. Um, but go check it out. People, this is episode 821 here, A Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next, 323-522-4032. Uh, but first, here's a holiday message from Adam and Eve. Ah, the holidays. It's snowing outside, the fire is crackling, and there's a big jar of unused lube on your nightstand. And that can only mean one thing. It's December. Yes, that time of year that we celebrate Christ's alleged birth with the purchase of a shiny brand new dildo at AdamEve.com. And if you use coupon code DIDDLE on your order, you'll get 50% off your first purchase, three free adult DVDs, and a free gift. 
Show your loved ones you still care and cram a brand new dildo down their holiday road. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, AdamandEve.com, and making a purchase using coupon code DIDDLE. That's D-I-D-D-L-E, like priests do to altar boys. Hallelujah. So we got a few phone calls to get to. 323-522-4032 is that number. Or you can email the show. Send us an MP3, sickandwrongpodcast at gmail.com. It's been a long time since we heard from this first caller. I was wondering what he's been up to. Here's Big Papa Smurf. Oh, wow. Yo, what the fuck up, D&K? It's Big Papa Smurf in this bitch, and I got some motherfucking Thanksgiving Day drama. Ooh, edgy, I know. But uh, one of my favorite bands uh, goes by the name of I Hate God. I'm sure D has heard of them. Love that band. Yeah, yeah, right. they're okay. I like it. It's that uh, that southern kind of sludge metal. They, um, yeah, they're a bit too boy for me. A bit too like. Mm, I, yeah, I, I, too I think boy. they're entertaining. They just played with Guar some uh, last week. They're still going. I mean, Jesus, they must have been going since late eighties. I think they formed. I yeah, and they played for. I've a while. seen them live twice, but like, it's just yeah, it's just too boy. Still don't know what that means. It's too. There's, sure, when you go to their gig, hurts. it's just sausage. And if there's chicks there, they're probably just girlfriends of like it's a sausage fest. That's what I mean. It's a boy, it's a boy band. Yeah, I don't think that that basically means that they're a shitty band. If I'm not like, saying it's shitty. Are you I'm just, just saying, saying just that too it's like a masculine sausage? energy? It's something for the men. <laughs> all right, I guess I, I I do know what you're saying though, because there are a lot a lot of metal shows are like that. It's mostly all dudes. Uh, you know, they're they're beat down heroin fucking music, bro. But uh, I had my band recently played a show with them, and I picked up uh, Michael Williams' book, and I took a sticker. So got a sticker, a bumper sticker with the fucking band name on it, and I put it on my fucking vehicle. Well, Thanksgiving Day comes up. I drive my ass on over to my family's house, and when you know, I I don't share Christian beliefs. You know, I just really it's a bullshit fucking belief full of fucking idolatry. I'm not worshiping a man that walked the earth as a god in a religion that was beaten into my ancestors by slave masters. That's a story for another day. I know. I think crazy Uncle Ron's going to have a problem with the I hate God bumper sticker. It's not even Uh, I, it's E-Y-E. Yeah, it's like an I hate God. The other thing I would like to point out to Christians is like, you guys believe in ghosts. (laughs) Like, come on, get over it. <laughs> and eating, like, uh, the body of Christ. Yeah, that's weird. But I am quiet and reflective whenever people are practicing their beliefs. I never disrespect them. I never question them. But regardless of all that, my grandfather decided that it would be a great idea to ask me what the sticker meant in front of the entire family, to which I said, it's a band. And then he starts berating me about not being a Christian, talking about how 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 Michael Williams is an idiot, which I have no idea what's relevant to the conversation. And Christians love to guilt trip the shit out of you. Like, that's their favorite weapon. So he was just like, my aunt helped me purchase the vehicle. And, she, and he was like, your aunt wouldn't even, your aunt wouldn't appreciate you having all, all that on there. And like, this, you know, this is an, an interesting uh, dilemma that he's in here because, on one, on one half, I kind of be like, "Oh, old man ranting," I'm gonna give him a pass. But on the other side, I'm like, "Fuck you!" 
you prick. Just because I don't believe in the same bullshit that you do, I can't put a bumper sticker for a band I like on my car. Time yeah, to change, old man. I would argue back with the uh, with the old grandpa. I wouldn't give a fuck if he died. I'd just be like, times have changed, and guess what? You know what happens when you die, grandpa? Nothing. There's nothing happening when you die. Well, you I don't fuck. think I don't think he's pissed about you know what happens to your soul when you die. I think what he's upset is that he's saying I hate God and he's turning away from Christianity. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, he's turning. But that's what I would tell him. It's just like heaven. you know, regardless of religion, it's a fucking band, you old prick. Yeah, that's that's kind of. I think it'd be tough for me not to say something, even though I have been in this situation with family members who or having this like inexplicable argument with you and you're just kind of like fine but still yeah see it do- see it doesn't happen to me because do you know why I don't have a family to have the arguments with i've, I've avoided <laughs> well, you successfully that. alienated your family i think probably because of your uh beliefs on necrophilia <laughs> what little did he know that i actually had a whole conversation about michael williams with my aunt and she's actually using his poems from cancer as a social activity to fucking teach her high school class. So it was like, we're like, I, I just. That's pretty cool. What, what, in your what face, Grandad. In your face. Christians and thinking they can just convert people with guilt and shame. Because it's like, I don't know what. I have none of those things. And that doesn't work on me. I just don't get how the fuck. The log, I, don't, I don't understand what kind of logic there is in that. Anyway, that's the fucking story. Logic. Whatever. I fucking hate holidays. I, you know, at that point, you start bringing up the hypocrisy of Christianity. It's like you know, you care about being pro-life and not having an abortion, but then once the child's born, you don't even want to give them health care. Well, like, how, how do you? Country. Yeah, like you know, how do you In rationalize America. that? How do you justify that? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing. That's these these like militant Christians. You know, if money like, is the root of all evil, then why why do all churches ask for it? <laughs> Well, there you it's, go. Because it's a I, tax shelter, and they can make money off of it. I am of no religion, um, and I'm like Big Papa Smurf. If people want to be religious, that's no problem to me. I don't care. Do what you want to do with your own life. Just don't force your beliefs onto me. Exactly. And I think everyone should have the same respect for each other. Like, I can be friends with Christians. It doesn't matter to me, like, what you believe in. Like, well, I would also... be so angry at Granddad this day. I would probably chuck a pie at him. Well, also, Pep Pep berating you in front of your entire family isn't going to be like, you know, you're right. I'm going to become a Christian now. Like, that's, that's also very ignorant of Pep Pep to do that. What would be respectful is for him to take him off to one side and be like, I want to talk to you about this bumper sticker. I feel like it's disrespectful of your, your that aunt. Would've, that would have been the proper way to handle it. Yeah. In private. But yeah, you know what? I'm going to say this, Big Papa Smith. Your Pep Pep sounds like a dick. Yeah, I would have clapped back there, Big Papa. <laughs> Keep it sick, keep it wrong. And D, play my fucking band on the goddamn podcast. You said you would. I got the messages. Oh, I'll send you the motherfucking screenshots, bitch. I thought I did play his band. Big Papa Smith, send me a message on um, Patreon or Discord with the song you want us to play, and I'll send it to D. I thought I did play your band at one time. I remember this. Anyway, yeah, send me a song. We'll play another song. Send me a song, and I'll play and give you a plug. You got an album coming out? Let me know. Big Papa Smurf's been a long-time listener, so for sure. Um, yeah, well, there you go. Maybe uh, just sometimes it's 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 okay to tell your family members to fuck off. It is always okay to tell your family members to fuck off. Do you know what? Especially when just they're out of line. Related, 
just because you're related to someone doesn't mean you have to like them and it doesn't mean you have to respect. It's always earned. It's never given. Just because he's an old granddad. Well, that's the thing. I think the old people, you're supposed to like respect what, you know, with their, like their wise old man. It's like, no, you're not. No. You know, you're a brainwashed Christian. And I'm like giving you a pass and respecting your beliefs and not commenting on how idiotic I think it might be out of respect for your beliefs. So maybe you should respect my musical taste and shut the fuck up. Yeah. (laughs) Show granddad, you listen to Bing Crosby. You know what I think the best, best thing to do is just pick up a leg and rip a long fart. Just a loud, long fart and then walk out of the room just like this caller would do. Ah, Dean Kate. Epic farter here. Farter here. Um, <laughs> he would know how to handle that situation. <laughs> he definitely thought would. I'd give you a bit of an update, really. Um, seems I'm single again. Oh, no. Uh, I know I didn't get dumped. Um, for the I'm first time in that. my life, I've actually, I wouldn't say dumped her, but I uh, decided that it wasn't for me. Uh, I wasn't getting enough time to do the... Th- what a heartbreaker, epic oh farter. God, he called things off with Whoa. his lady glove. I'm stunned. <laughs> things I wanted to do. Um, I wasn't getting enough time for my fishing. I wasn't getting enough time for building <laughs> oh my, my God, boomboxes. Oh, you got dumped for fishing. Uh, oh, you got dumped. She got dumped because he wanted to spend more time fishing. That's amazing. <laughs> I would, oh my God, I would be so angry at him. I would block him across all social media. <laughs> We also said he wanted more time building his boom boxes. Oh, I remember that. He showed me pictures. He sent pictures of those. They're actually rather impressive. Um, so he wasn't getting enough time to do his hobbies, so he's dumped her. I mean, that's fair enough. If the spark isn't there, the spark's just not there. Well, that, that's what it sounds like to me, because typically sex to me is, I don't know, more valuable than uh, fishing and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, but I mean my, that my wears out if you if you're not enjoying. Well, that's the thing. If you're not, yeah, if you're not enjoying the other person's company, well, then I think there's a larger issue. Just yeah, and it wasn't progressing. We weren't really. I don't know. We we just weren't gelling the no way connection. I thought we probably should do. Um, she could also out fart me, which was I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know how to take it. I was quite impressed by her farts, but. Part of me was slightly disgusted, and then another part of me was like, "Well, <laughs> that sort of made me feel a little bit insignificant." If I can get, oh, I think he feels emasculated here. He feels, yeah, emasculated by the woman uh, taking on the alpha role there. If she could rip a louder fart than you, I'm amazed by this. Are we talking like Guinness Book of World Records here? I don't know. I mean, I just like. That's 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 very peculiar for a girl fart. <laughs> girl fart. No, I'm just saying I've, I've you know had a fair amount of experience with girl farts, and rarely are they as loud as mine. And an epic farter is a professional farter. He's been farting for many years. Yes, it's his you name, know, epic farter. Yeah, and, and, and the fact that she is more of an epic him. farter. Yeah, I'm, you know I'm what, kind maybe of stunned. It's- Maybe it's a case of um, right person, but at the wrong time. Maybe in a couple of years' time, they'll get back together. Well, maybe. It sounds like he felt like he was less of a man because she could make a louder fart. But maybe in a couple of years' time, he'll start to find that really horny, that she's the power top in farting. Power farter. She's the power farter, and he might enjoy that. 
Yeah, maybe. Farted by a bird. Out farted yeah, by yeah, a bird. They didn't smell, they just made a hell of a noise. I mean, she had quite a big ass, but <laughs> I don't know. It, it just didn't feel right. Um, I think it's really funny. So he subjected his ex-wife, along with, I don't know, countless other women he's dated, um, maybe not countless, three other women that he dated. <laughs> um, he's like subjected them to his own farts all this time. But now you got this woman who's just like openly farting, you know, unabashedly just ripping farts left and right. And he's like, that's kind of disgusting. <laughs> oh, my God, the shoe is on the other foot. I would. Yeah, like... yeah, he's clutching his pearls, and now he knows <laughs> know. what it feels like for the four of the women that he's ever slept with. How he gross it is. With this. And, like, he's going to go through a change. He's going to go through, like, emotional maturity change this next year. Yeah, I don't know. We might have to find a new nickname for him. So, yeah, I've, sort of, I've met my match, my female match. Um, but, yeah, I thought I'd give you a bit of an update. Um, mega congratulations to you guys. It's, oh, uh, it's you. really cool to hear. Uh, dear, you're a lucky bastard. She's pretty Oh, nice. thank you. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't mind if a woman can now fart me. All right, Epic Fighter. <laughs> I'm a lady about these uh, things. I'm, I'm quite Victorian in, in my standings. I can't I am, fart anyone. Yeah, exactly. I am very secure in my manhood. I don't even mind. It's, <laughs> it's fine with me. Kate. <laughs> You got yourself a good man there. Um, I've been listening to him for quite a few years now, and uh, he might be a dirty Jew, but he's a good laugh. Um, <laughs> Not the first time I heard his that. Head screwed on. Um, but yeah, I thought I'd give you a bit, bit of an update. Uh, I'm pretty good. I'm just getting on with stuff. Um, living in my mum's old cottage in the middle of a tiny little village. Wait, wait. What happened to uh, the apartment he's, on, he's on top of the bar? Not. Yeah, wasn't there? It was like well, a bachelor wait, did pad. Did he move in with his? Did he move in with the uh, the female epic father? Did they move in together? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. A little cottage. So is he living in like? Oh my god, he's like Kate O'Kalen of wherever. He's like the farting Kate O'Kalen of like. I don't know. Of, he like the British countryside. He's like, I'm living in my mum's cottage at the back of her garden. Yeah, it sounds like he's living in the Shire. Away. Like Bilbo Baggins here. Just seven doors down from the pub um, well, where convenient. I was living with the two gays. Okay, and, he's uh, in the same Yeah, life's groovy. But you keep in touch with yourselves. Um, mind how you come. Hey. <laughs> I'll speak to you soon. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Well, thank you there, Epic Farter. You know, it's, it's, it's good, good to hear that you're happy and you're content. Um, you know, I'm sure you'll meet someone else and maybe this person won't match you in uh in, in farts in but maybe you she'll know? go fishing with you or something or do a hobby you enjoy as well God, that is a, i don't think i've ever met a woman that just like yeah just would just come in and <laughs> just, just like rip them. a super loud fart like that i don't think any girl most girls i've ever dated they've always been sbds like you know silent but deadlies <laughs> right <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's what but that's what most women are i mean they could be noxious and like you know like you know, kill a, a a pack animal, you know, but I mean, yeah, I don't think I've ever met a girl that's just like ripping a super loud fart like a dude. I, I would be horrified. <laughs> be disgusted. I have by that. I have one particular female friend who does that. That can she, rip a super loud fart like that? Super loud fart, yeah, like the like the bros. But she's kind of she's masculine anyway. She's masculine in her qualities. But other than that, it's like no. You you're Victorian about it. It's not 
Like, it's fun to laugh at, but just like, no. Well, it's just something I'd, I would lose my sexual attraction over time. <laughs> Not even that long. Like, I'd say like a day. <laughs> like, it'd well, be I mean, that night. If I was hearing part. ripping farts, I would be like, I'm done. I'm done here. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it, it's good to hear from you. And thank you uh, for the kind words there, Epic Farter. Hope you're doing well. Yeah. And I know you're active on the Discord, so we can chat, chat with you over there. Um, this next call is from a celebrity. A celebrity actually called the, sh- called the show. And I was, I've was been wondering what this celebrity's been up to because I was a huge fan of some of his movies in the, uh, the, the early 90s, such as Bloodsport. Talking about Jean-Claude. Oh, my God, it's Jean-Claude. Jean-Claude, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Van Yep. Uh, this is unprecedented and quite uh, unusual, but I have to call back and address uh, Kate's... Uh, oh, things. Do you think Jean-Claude is drunk? Well, did you not know about Jean-Claude Van Tam and his fucking cocaine habit? Oh, yeah. His no, meth I know, habit. I know his I cocaine think- habit was really gnarly. Yeah, he's like one of the biggest drug abusers of all time. I think he is off the wagon here. Yeah, it sounds like it. Said about the word fitta, that Swedes don't really use the word fitta that much. Well, you know, fitta, it's like it can be used in a lot of ways, you know, like. When were you bring up the word fitta? Fitta is my um, favorite Swedish word. It's one of their swear words and it means cunt. Okay, all right. So here he's explaining the uh, usage of the word fitta. Yes, this is the Like we say, oh shit. It can be like, oh fit. I know, but it sounds like Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> well, should we call him Jean-Claude Van Sweden? Jean-Claude Van Sweden. Ah, fitta. Or it can be like, ah, oh, you got a really nice tight pussy. You know, like if I found Fintron Fitteror. Or you can just be like, I'm a sloop to fit. Like, stop being such a pussy a lot. Is it a term of endearment, like uh, like in the UK, where you're like, oh, he's a good cunt? No, it's fucking not. I've lived with, like, um, I went to, like, I always talk about this when I went to uni, I went there with a lot of Swedish people, because uh, it was, like, a prestigious art college to come here. And uh, the first things they would always do when they got off the fucking boat is they would start smoking, they would start drinking, and they would start swearing because you can't just be like, oh, fuck off, mate. What are you doing? Fucking hell. Huh? Oh, you know, Swedes are nice people to each other. There's a level of decorum over there. And even when I've been over there as a tourist, I've been like, yeah, I was like, we're rowdy fuckers. The Swedes are rowdy too. Don't get yeah, me but wrong. Were you like going, fucking drink. But were you going into pubs and being like, get me a beer, Fita? You would probably get knocked out. <laughs> they just—they would act so shocked when you say it. And in fact, when I first learned, learned the word fita, it was like from my uh, my female Swedish friend. We were at a party, we were drunk. I was like, go on. I was asking her what all the swear words were. And she was giggling as she was telling me them. And I was like, what's cunt? What's cunt? And she was like, we never say it. We never say this word, but it's fita. And I was laughing at it, and I was saying it all night long, and she was just, like, she was laughing her head off. I mean, in the United States, cunt's a pretty vile word. Like, if you said that, people would, I think people would be stunned. That's going to be funny when I move over, and I go, what a fucking cunt. Yeah, <laughs> people, people would be stunned. Uh, you know, I was hanging out with, uh, the other day, um, with the two uh, lesbians that lived down the hall that take care of Caliban every now and then. Um, when I was in Seattle, they were taking care of them. And so when I... I dropped him off, and the Caliban had just been a total cunt all day. 
And so I was over there. I was just like, oh, yeah, he's been acting like a fucking cunt all day. And they were just like, whoa, whoa. Like it's, it, I was like, oh. And you'd forgotten. We yeah, like, I was just sorry, like, oh, sorry, yeah, my bird's English. Yeah, I was just like, you know, it's uh, I think I picked that word up in England. And uh, the one girl was like, oh, okay, we just don't hear that word that much. I love saying the word cunt. It's honestly yeah, it one rolls of my favorite the words to say. It yep. rolls off the tongue. It's nice to say, and I don't see anything. And it's good for just like when you see your mate, you're like, all right, you cunt. How's it um, going? My irritable as well bell, as anger. My irritable bell sister throws that word around like, I don't know where she picked that up, but like every fourth word is cunt. She loves saying it. Yeah, and I it, like that word. Yeah. It's definitely one of my favorite swears. My favorite swears. Cunt. <laughs> Can be like, yeah, fun. We fit nice, but this is really good. Or it can be maybe, you know, you say, uh, oh, fun. Yeah, if you fitta. Who's this fucking cunt? Yeah, that's right. You know, stop acting like a cunt. And you know, yeah, it's you know, it's used more than you think. Maybe you know, in polite uh, company, you don't really throw it around. But you know, when it's just friends, you can just use it like. Uh, so you use it when you're hanging out with your uh, mates. When you're hanging out with your couldn't mates, I love it. Yeah, that's, that's a good time for it. I want some more, um, like uh, some more like Swedish scando, like turns of phrases that we wouldn't necessarily. I want to know what do they call a pedo. In, uh, yeah, what's Sweden. a nonce? Yeah, what's a nonce? Oh, yeah, I wouldn't a know. Swedish nonce. Swedish nonce. You know, like, uh, feet soft is good. You know what I mean? Pussy juice in the night. <laughs> oh. Okay, that's enough silliness. This is uh, getting erotic. Take care, lovers. Keep it sick and wrong, lot. <laughs> Thank you there, Jean-Claude Van Swede. I would like to know, Jean-Claude Van Sweet, how you say keep it sick and wrong in Swedish. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Teach us how to yeah. say that. Keep, and sick or, keep it sick and wrong, you cunts. You cunts. In, keep it sick and wrong, you cunts in Swedish. I kind of like how he I, pronounces pussy juice. That's kind of a cool word. I know. I, like, I had to cross my legs Pussy juice. <laughs> he sound, you know what he reminded me of? Um, you know, I'm from Dust Till Dawn when Tommy Jong Tommy Chong is going, Oh, he got the red pussy, the yellow pussy, oh, that's the Cheech. green pussy. Cheech, that's Cheech, right? yeah. That was Sorry, that. Cheech, yeah. Um Pussy Juice. Anyway, thank you there, Jean Claude Van Sweet. People can call Sigurong Hotline three two three five two two four zero three two. Um check out our Sick and Wrong second show. We do two shows a week. Not one, two. That's two times the fun. I'm sick and wrong here. But you got to sign up for Patreon to, to, to hear the second show. This week, uh, there was an impassioned point-counterpoint. Kate's point, there's nothing wrong whatsoever with necrophilia and cannibalism. My counterpoint, yes, there is. Um, you can... as, high, as high as it goes, people. <laughs> there is no debate. You can hear the great debate as well as a uh, hilarious phone call from Buffalo Bill about uh, some girl's vagina stank. Oh, my God. I, that's one of, the, like, probably the best phone calls I've listened to this year. It, it was pretty funny. It's all that. Uh, all that's on the uh, second show this week. comes out uh, every Sunday, just like the main show. And that's only five bucks a month. And just for a few bucks more, you get our Sick and Wrong News segment. 
Um, this week we talked about uh, some some guy. This is amazing. Probably the best way I think I've I've heard to quit your job. Um, he hired the Island Boys. You know those two dickheads. Island <laughs> Boys. Terrible song. He basically hired a meme to call his boss and quit his job for him. It's it's incredible. As so we play the audio, he's like, "Rob, don't work here no more because he's an Island Boy." It's, it's, it's so yeah, terrible. It's so good. Yeah, and he actually like sent it to his boss, and that's how he quit. Um, and then there's also a big rave happening at uh, 10 Downing Street on uh, Christmas. And I'm kind of hoping uh, that everyone out there in the UK is planning to attend. I would if I was over there. Um, but yeah, go check it out. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. We do really appreciate you supporting the show. Also, uh, the, the Tea Public Store has a sale going on for the holidays. Um, and I think they're doing something with uh, like domestic shipping. If you're shipping abroad, I'm not quite sure if that's still going on. But if you go to sickroundpodcast.com slash shop, you click on the picture of the Pope, uh, you got to buy some last-minute holiday gifts for the family. Um, Sick and Wrong Song of the Week, you know, I'm going to actually, this is a rehash. Cause we, I do recall playing this when it came out, probably in like 2007, maybe 2006, uh, when we... You know, God, there's the early episodes of the show, but I kind of feel like it's relevant to uh, play at the end of the show. It's a, a song called Lotion by a band called the Greenskeepers. I think they're a one-hit wonder. I don't even know. I guess it's 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 questionable whether or not this is, could be considered a hit. In my mind, it's definitely a hit. <laughs> so uh, we're going to end the show here uh, with the song Lotion by the Greenskeepers. Uh, people, we'll be back next week with episode 822. Till then, take it sleazy. I'm looking down the hole, you're looking up at me You're cold and tired, that is easy to see Lower the rope to you, a bucket on the line Your membrane will be soft and smooth and your heart will be mine It rubs the lotion on its skin
He kept trying to fit me in this hole, and he kept taking his board, and he kept slamming it on my head, you know, trying to get me to fit into this hole. So when I was in there, I was, like, all cramped up and stuff, and I'm trying to, you know, and I'm, like, still screaming and hollering because I couldn't breathe because I have asthma and stuff, and I'm, like, in all this dirt, and then, like, I couldn't, I didn't have any room to move and stuff. So he comes back downstairs, and he, he like, pulls me out of the hole by my hair. And he has a stick, and he's just beating me with this stick. And then he puts me back in there. <laughs> 